You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Business with Purpose podcast. My guest this week is Natalie Frank, who is the founder of the Rising Tide Society. If you are in the creative industry, you probably have heard of the Rising Tide Society. It is an amazing community of creative entrepreneurs who are just coming together to encourage each other and uplift one another. And Natalie is just, she is amazing. You are going to love this conversation with her and you're going to learn so much. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Natalie. Hi, Natalie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Molly. Thank you so much for having me. I have been looking forward to having you on the show for so many reasons. One, I feel like we are, in so many ways, we're like kindred sisters because we are both KJ brides. Yes. Yes. (laughs) For those that don't know what a KJ bride is, that means you're a Caitlyn James bride. Absolutely. And so there's like this like unspoken or maybe it's a actually it's a spoken sisterhood. Yeah, of, we have a hashtag. It's pretty spoken. We do. We do. We do have a hashtag. We take it very seriously. We do. We do. This is a it's a it's a one of those things that when you're just like, oh, you're a KJ bride. I'm a KJ bride. So and you it. just you share it. Um, and then I just also we've you know, we've been following each other on social media for so many years and we've we've yeah. seen each other at conferences. And I just I just adore you. And I am so excited to share you with the Business with Purpose audience because so much of what you do is one of those things that I I tell people all the time, and this is one of those things, sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record because I'm like, you don't have to own a business that sells a physical product or you know does something in a developing nation to make a difference right where you are. And you are the epitome of somebody who just you know the giftings that you have been given, um, and you use those gifts to bless others in so many ways. So we're going to talk all about that. I I could talk about this stuff all day, obviously. Um, so before we kind of get into all of that, I want you to give me the Natalie 101. So that's, you just kind of tell us your life story in a few minutes or less. Just kind of tell us, you know, what you have done throughout your life that sort of led you to where you are today. Oh my gosh. Well, Molly, that was, first of all, far more <laughs> kind of an introduction than I deserve. That oh. was so kind and so sweet. <laughs> I I don't even know where to start. Um, Honestly, I am a small town girl from Annapolis, Maryland. It's not really that small. Um, Now that I've been leading a community across the United States and the world, I realize there are towns much smaller. But <laughs> when you're from Annapolis, you've got D.C. and Baltimore, you know, on either side, and you feel sort of like the forgotten younger sibling. So <laughs> I grew up in this this little coastal town. Um, we live, you know, in the Chesapeake Bay area and raised by a single mom with my younger sister. And I picked up a camera in high school because I really wanted a creative outlet that enabled me to just capture the world. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really wanted the ability to communicate with people that, in, in a way that wasn't just with words, in a way that allowed, you know, allowed me sort of a window, right, into yeah. their daily lives. And yeah. so I got started in photography. And when I was ready to go to college, this became my primary way of paying for school. And so I went to school in Philadelphia and I would shoot weddings on the weekends back home in Maryland. And I would take the train um, to Penn and back from Penn and up up and back nearly almost every weekend in the spring and in the fall. And I, I built a sizable business. And then Shortly um, upon graduation, you know, I decided I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to try to run my own business. You know, it's sink or swim at this point. Either I'm going to make it as an entrepreneur or I'm going to fail and I'm going to go have to get a traditional job. Yeah. And, you know, I found my business so early. I was really fortunate uh, to be able to actually make that leap and for it to be successful. But what was so interesting is that my business was thriving financially and I felt so incredibly alone. Uh, yeah. mentally and and even spiritually, I just felt very alone. Yeah. And, um, you know, what's interesting is I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't really know what to do because the only people that I thought could quite possibly understand what I was going through were other creative entrepreneurs who were also trying to carry the weight of an entire business on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. And yet 
most of them considered themselves to be my competition. Mm -hmm. So why -hmm. would they spend time to talk to me or get to know me? And I was the new kid as I moved back from college. And so I really didn't have a ton to offer, you know, the cliques and the established groups. And so I just, I found myself um, just, I don't know, feeling a little bit uh, at a distance. And I think a lot of us feel that way. And so I decided to do something about it. And in 2015, surrounded by um, my amazing co-founders, my husband, we launched the Rising Tide Society. And all it was at the time was a coffee meetup in Annapolis, Maryland in, you know, May of 2015. And then by June 1st, we officially launched and we had uh, just a couple friends up and down the East Coast who wanted to host these meetings too. And it spread and it spread and it spread. And now, you know, we're a much bigger community. It's funny, someone said the other day, they called us the big guys. And I was like, when did we become a big guy? We've always been the little guy. Like, I don't know when we became the big guys, but at some point that happened. I mean, we have over 400 meetings now that happen around the world every month. That's and, amazing. Um, it's grown. It's really grown. But the the moral of the story being that, you know, I, I really believe that we all deserve to not only chase our dreams, but ultimately to do it well surrounded by a supportive community that that cares about us, that cares about our well-being, that you know, holds us accountable, that checks in on us, that, you know, has interests far beyond that of typical commerce or typical business relationships that, you know, almost looks to friendship first, putting people first. And that's ultimately what the community over competition movement has been all about. I just think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much I want to get into with the Rising Tide Society. Um, but, you know, it's it's one of the things that I love so much about what you do. Um, I, it's, and on a much, much smaller sc- scale, I, in 2012, I was in a very similar si- situation that you were. I was living in North Carolina. I was blogging. I was newly married. I didn't really have a lot of friends in the area, and I felt super alone, especially in this creative pursuit that I was doing. I mean, I was working full time, but I had the blog and I was, um, I'd been blogging for a long time and I just kind of felt lost and I I felt like I didn't know anyone and I felt like I was the only one doing this, which I knew that wasn't true. I just kind of, like you said, I was very alone. And so I'd started a little organization here in just the central North Carolina area called TriFab, which is called Triangle Area Bloggers. And it's literally just like a little organization, very similar to what the Rising Tide Society started out as just Mm -hmm. doing like meetups. And I was just like, well, I just I just want to have like meet other people that are doing the same thing. And I mean, it's obviously it's very centrally located and it's much smaller, um, you know, than what the Rising Tide Society does. But it was that it came out of that same sort of space of feeling like I'm alone. I don't know if there's anybody else that wants to talk about this stuff, if they want to network, if they want to help each other. You know, it just it was kind of like at sometimes I felt like I was just standing on top of a mountain being like, hello, is anyone there? (laughs) No, I, I totally know that feeling. And what's really interesting too, is, you know, I've been talking a lot with friends recently about work and what it means to work and how the concept has completely changed in the last five to 10 years with advancements in technology. And, you know, human beings are not designed to be alone. I mean, we are social creatures. You can just look at our, our, you know, our biology um, and and ultimately our our structure, our makeup to determine very quickly that we're social by nature. Um, You know, solitary confinement is in and of itself very dangerous Mm -hmm. for humans. And Mm -hmm. so, we have all of these these cues saying we're meant to be in community, and yet the world is moving in a direction that's almost the opposite of that. Um, not, you know, in in the the wide high level view, because you would say, oh, well, we're more connected than ever before, Natalie. We've got cell phones, we've got the internet, we've got. But I mean, on a hard level, where friendships aren't as easy as clicking a button where, you know, real dialogues that are challenging to us aren't as easy as blocking someone to get away away from them or, Mm -hmm. you know, just saying what we want into, you know, on a keyboard into the computer and not really caring about the human on the other side. Like, this is the world we live in. And it's not a world in which humans are are created to thrive. I mean, we need to be with people. We need to be caring about people. Empathy is derived from, you know, ultimately our mirror neurons firing. And that doesn't happen if we're not in person or at least seeing video, right? Like, we need to be able to see someone's facial cues in order to really connect with them. They're all, there's all the science being done about it. And, um, 
you know, it's just, it's interesting because we are the pioneers of this new creative economy, this new mm-hmm. space in which work is being redefined. And so I'm really inspired, Molly, by like you, by anybody who steps up to say, look, we need community, whether it's yeah. Rising Tide or your own group that you create or a group that you find in your local area. Like, I, you know, I'm biased because I created RTS, but at the end of the day, what I care more about is that everyone finds that group, that they find human beings to go to, to spend time with, to connect with, because it it's not some fluffy thing. Community is, is good for your mental and physical health. It is so incredibly valuable, and mm-hmm. it's something that I'm really passionate about. Yes, 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 yes. I, you know, it's one of those things where I love when you talk about the science behind it too. And I know that you're a little bit of a science nerd. I am. (laughs) And I I say that because it's so funny because I am a science nerd in that I think it's fascinating, but I don't understand any of it. But like, I'll totally watch a documentary all day long, but like, and I'll just be like, yes. But then I actually go to try to explain it. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what I'm actually talking about at all. Um, So, and I remember at creative at heart in 2015 mm-hmm. you gave a talk on I believe it was like literally the science behind marketing and like the mm-hmm. brain using your brain to talk about how you market your business um, and how you appeal to people's emotions and things like that um, but I think what you allude to is so important that we forget about like and we live in this very like you like you said very interesting time of of our lives and our generation in particular, like we are the generation of, we remember life without the internet and we remember yeah. life when the internet came about. We remember yeah. dial up AOL and we remember <laughs> AOL, got mail. Yeah, like AOL chat rooms. And we remember, you know, when Facebook was invented and when social media became a thing. And so our generation is the generation that's literally experienced all of it. And so we see both the pros and the cons of this internet culture and this social media world. And it can, you know, it's very dangerous in that we can sometimes get, like you said, get lost in the keyboard and lost in the screen. And we forget about the importance of that real human face-to-face interaction. Um, talk a little bit about that and what was some of, you know, uh, you know if you want to talk of the science behind it, because I, I love that stuff um, totally. But, I, you know, what, what do you sort of see as, what is it, you know, as our role, as our generation and as creatives and all that kind of stuff for fostering that in-person human mm-hmm. contact versus like balancing living our lives, quote unquote, online? Oh, man. So I, I really, this is gonna, going to be the question, I think, of not only our generation, but future generations. I mean, mm-hmm. I think as things are further and further removed from the physical, like as they become more and more, um, you know, technological, more virtual, we are going to consistently come back to this question of, you know, human connection and mm-hmm. and when it's, it's not only valuable, but needed. And I think that um, you know, as far as technology goes, I obviously, you know, with Rising Tide and and with HoneyBook, which is the parent company now of RTS, like mm-hmm. I literally build technology now. I'm part of a company that's creating tech. And yet what's so fascinating is even amongst some of the top technologists and, and you know, developers in Silicon Valley, there's still this, this concern about AI. And there's this also, you know, simultaneously this flip, uh, this real excitement about the possibility for us to use technology to qu- kind of take away some of the burden of the day-to-day tasks that we need to do in yeah. order to actually live our lives. So I see it being this, this interesting um, sort of divergence, right? You have like one group that's super focused on how do we automate everything? How do I make it so that I can literally do anything from a computer because I don't want to have to interact. But you see the flip side too, which is something I'm more passionate about, which is how do we use the technology at our disposal to be as efficient as possible in business, as efficient as possible in you know chores and tasks, and sort of the um, the processes that can repeat in our lives yeah. in order to be highly inefficient when it comes to spending time with the people that we love. Yes. So if I can, you know, have my my emails, you know, uh, operate in a fast way, I have templates, I have the ability to schedule emails, I have, you know, an email platform I can use to, to talk in mass to my email list, and that makes it easier for me. Great. So that way, I get an extra 30 minutes that I can spend with my husband, right? Then technology to me, that is what's worth it. But I think, yes. you know, we, we can't lose sight of the offline, you know, world, we, mm-hmm. we, we must not um, fall into the trap of thinking that, 
you know, getting a like on Facebook or a new follower on Instagram. And that, that pleasure center of the brain that's ignited by that, right? It's, it's, it's an addiction. It's, you know, I mean, again, more, you can look that up. Great studies are being done right now about how sort of these, these feedback loops of getting likes and getting comments and getting um, followers and how we become sort of addicted in the sense that it creates these responses in the brain of pleasure, right? Mm -hmm. So we get happy, we get excited when we see people following and liking our content. Um, Obviously, it's not a bad thing. But we begin to almost and we can and I know because this has happened to me, you know, I'm not immune to this. We, we very much become um, attached to it. We need it. We, we yearn for seeing gratification instantly from a post or seeing, um, you know, support from other people. And oh, yes. OK, good. They're saying they like this photo. That must mean it's good. When in reality, we're enough without that. Mm-hmm. We don't yes. we don't need that, but yet the the brain almost in a sense is telling us, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. And so we become dependent on that for um, almost identity, for for mm-hmm. positivity's sake. I mean, we, we look to the internet uh, to really almost um, identify ourselves now. And it's so, it concerns me, but I also, as someone that is interested in science and is really passionate about understanding the brain, it also fascinates me and it gives me hope because I do believe that the more we understand these things and the more we're willing to be vulnerable and to talk about it, it's something I'm really trying to work on myself on social and just say, look, look, I'm a real person. Here's who I am. I wear glasses. I, you know, I, I live this life. This is the real life. I can barely cook. I made croutons yesterday. I literally showed making croutons. And I've just given up diet soda. And that, those things seem very superficial and very insignificant. But the reality is, if all the world sees of me or you is the curation, is the polished, is the perfect, then we will forget that there's realness behind it. We mm-hmm. will forget that there is vulnerability and there is a softness and a crumbly bits, you know, like I always describe myself as I'm crumbly, like I'm soft and gushy and crumbly and I'm I'm delicate. And so harsh words, they hurt. And yeah. people being, cr- you know, critical without, you know, the need to be, it hurts. But I have to remember, like, it goes both ways. I have to be willing to be vulnerable in order for people to connect. And you have to be willing to be vulnerable in order for people to connect. Because otherwise, then we're all leading ourselves, you know, on this hamster wheel chasing a success that doesn't exist. Yeah, that's, I love that so much. Now, what kinds of things do you do in your own life and like habits that you try to form yourself with your social media use or just, you know, the nature of what you do, the nature of what I do when you when you work in a in a space that's all technology and online and stuff like that, like it it can be very hard to practice what you preach, if that makes sense. What oh, kinds absolutely. of boundaries do you put in your own life and in your own social media habits that help you sort of curtail all that, you know, especially since you know the the dangers of it. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I think for me, it's, it always goes back to a heart check and a gut check. Yeah. You know, yeah. I I have to hold myself accountable to what's what's in my heart because mm-hmm. here's the thing. No one else can tell you uh, how you're feeling yeah. about your social, right? Like yep. people will make assumptions all day, but they don't know. And so for me, I, I care far more about the intention behind an action and the heart, you know, where is someone's heart in this than I do about what they've done. And this is like my my overall approach to leadership and community. I know that, you know, the RTS group now is almost at 70,000 people um, in the Facebook group and 70,000 people, like for all 70,000 people to get along and to to move forward, it's mm-hmm. it's nearly an impossible task. I won't oh, say impossible yeah. because we are doing that every day, but it's a very difficult task. However, the one thing that I found, for instance, is when people are upset or they're crying out or they're angry, it has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with rising tide. At the end of the day, there's something hurting inside of them. Yes. And also the flip of that is they want to be heard and maybe they're not being heard or seen in their lives or they feel unheard or unseen. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting about that is I can relate to that. Anyone, like ask anyone if they've ever felt like they just were invisible or that their impact wasn't enough or that somehow, you know, they weren't making the type of, of waves. We call it making waves in RTS because it's obviously a very rising tide, um, you know, a little bit of a metaphor there, but they're not making the big the waves they want to make. It's not big enough for them. We all feel that way. And that's where human empathy comes into play. So for me, in terms of boundaries, like, I just check my heart. I ask myself, you know, like, okay, now, why did you post that? 
why are you feeling the need to do X, Y, Z? Are you like, you know, when I start to feel like I, I need that, that, um, external gratification or, you know, and I do, I have to constantly, constantly be checking my heart. Yeah. But, but again, it comes back to the audience I'm striving to serve. And for me, you know, it, it really is, it's, it's an audience of one. Um, I really am focusing on that and, and not trying to appeal to everyone. I think that it's, it's so important to just remember why you're doing it and the purpose behind it. it sometimes, you know, the numbers, yeah, numbers do matter. I'm not going to sit here and say numbers don't because they do. They, I'm a businesswoman. I understand, um, you know, adding each person, each new subscriber to my email list actually increases the money I make. I get that. I do. Yeah. Um, I know the same applies to Instagram. But at the same time, it means nothing if I lose who I am in the process. Yes. It means literally nothing if I'm not chasing after the purpose that I've been created to chase after in order to to build a platform that, that I can allow others to use. I mean, that's, again, it, the more you talk to me, you'll learn. I, I often say I'm building a stage not for myself, but for others. That is my focus. That's mm-hmm. been my, what I'm, I like to say, that's my calling literally is to build stages for people. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm very good at. And at the end of the day, again, it's like the minute I lose sight of that and it becomes about me or it becomes about some kind of selfish ambition, not only do I fail myself, but I fail the people I'm striving to serve. And so it's, it's very important and it is a very fine line in this world that's all about the cult of you, you know, yes. it's a very fine line. Yes, I could not agree more. I, I'm curious you know, you you said that, um, and I know that Rising Tide has expanded to other countries. I'm ex- yeah. I'm curious. Um, so, what other countries is Rising Tide in? Before I ask my question, <laughs> okay. Well, we're all over. So, Canada, um, we're in Germany. Uh, we oh, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. That's awesome. Uh, we're all over. I mean, really, the international side has expanded. Um, it's been harder to cultivate community internationally because it's so much farther from what we like to call like headquarters, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a lot farther, um, and time zones make it somewhat difficult. But you know, we have spread um, beyond the U.S. I say Canada is massive. Like Canada, we've got over twenty five chapters that are big, um, and so obviously it's our neighbor to the north, so it makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. we've also spread beyond that. I, I, hey, if if you need a representative for a Kuala Lumpur meetup, hey, <laughs> I'm like, I'll hop on a plane. I'll I'll, I'll make the sacrifice. <laughs> I know I'm gunning for Oahu, even though it's in the United States. I really Hawaii. I think the Hawaii chapter needs us to visit. Uh, yeah, I really yeah, I, I completely agree. <laughs> um, well, the reason I ask that is because I was thinking about this as you were as you were talking earlier. Um, just this need. I feel like in a lot of ways. Americans in general have just such an interesting approach to community and an interesting approach to to social media and things like that. While while it does exist, obviously, in other countries, I, I sometimes wonder, and I don't know what the answer to this is, what the difference is. Because, for example, like in, you know, if you go to a country like Kenya or even in mm-hmm. Italy, like I'm trying to think of the countries I've actually been to. Um, I've never been to Germany, but they're in Europe. So, hey, <laughs> um, you know, but in, in Kenya and Italy and countries like that, they are so naturally as a culture community focused and right. they just want to spend time with you. They want you to be in their home. They want to feed you. They want to they want you to be a guest. They want to sit down with you over a meal and look you in the eye and talk for five hours. Like it's, we always joke, every time I go to Kenya, we always joke, everything is on Kenya time. Like, because <laughs> like the time just doesn't exist there. <laughs> like if you, t- if you say something starts at noon, like people just kind of roll in casually and like, it's not a big deal. Like that's just how it is. And right. so it's it's hard when we go there as Americans because we're so schedule focused. Like this is going to start at noon and this is going to start at three. And I'm always like, guys, that is a terrible idea because we're in Kenya and things are on Kenya time. Like not in a bad way. I think a good way because in a lot of ways it forces us to slow down. And so I'm I'm almost curious, like if you've had any experiences with some of the international chapters of RTS if you find that they have an easier time or a more difficult time with the the community aspect, if there's mm-hmm. anything you've learned from them, does that does that kind of make sense what I'm kind of get, getting at? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, like culture plays a large role in not only our, our idea of what a community looks like, but also, I think our idea of business, of work-life balance, of, yes. you know, all of that. So, for example, even, and I say culture very loosely, because even within the United States, I would argue, now having moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, 
it is very different. Yes. Um, the East Coast, we are, and I'm, I'm, you know, born and raised in Annapolis, as I mentioned, like I'm East Coast all the way. Um, we are very, I'm sorry, East Coasters, but we are, we are very, um, you know, strict and, and uptight about getting things done quickly and everything mm-hmm. is scheduled and we work long, long hours. Um, you move to the West Coast and outside of startup land in, in SF, which again, I think I'm uniquely designed for coming from the East Coast, moving to San Francisco. It isn't necessarily that way. Um, mm-hmm. When I was in San Diego, I was talking to a friend of mine who now works down there, and she's like, "Yeah, look, like my I work hard, but I come in at like ten. Like I go to yoga in the morning, I come in at ten, I stay till six, and then I'm done. And I'm like, wow, well, you know, I'm working at eight a.m. until about eight or nine p.m. Yeah. every night. And um, yeah. so, you know, I say cultural loosely because I think it it could change not just nationally, but even within you know certain communities. And um, so, you know, I think that. The, the short answer is yes, obviously it's very, very different from place to place. We've seen certain areas like, for example, Puerto Rico, um, even, honestly, even areas within Florida. Um, I'm trying to think of another. Oh, Jamaica. Oh my gosh. Jamaica? Like Puerto Rico and Jamaica. Yes, but those chapters have grown at a rate I've never, like our Jamaica chapter is massive, um, absolutely massive. And the same with Puerto Rico. Puerto That's Rico like so it just cool. exploded um, when it first launched down there. And I don't know why, again, like it could be a vast number of reasons, mm-hmm. but there was this tight knit desire um, to, to build community that I think, you know, they had um, obviously, but they also wanted to experience in a different way through business. And we had gotten great feedback from our leaders in both of those areas. Um, and I, you know, I don't know, I don't know what the answer is. I think, you know, it could be on a micro level, even within small towns. Um, we've seen in Virginia, for instance, Virginia has an incredible sense of community there. I mean, it sounds crazy again. It's like I'm picking one state, but we've just seen it. It grows like the movement grows differently in Virginia than yeah. it grows um, in other parts of the country. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know the the precise answer um, to that. But I do know that, you know, we we really are always up for the challenge when it doesn't grow quickly, but we are always really impressed and, and inspired when we see people just coming together without, you know, needing to understand what it means, you know, community over competition. That's the, the phrase we use, but at the end of the day, it boils down to putting other people first. And when we see that, you know, so naturally within um, specific groups, I love that you mentioned Italy because, you know, I, I have a couple friends that are Italian and um, are well, actually the designer who is helping with an upcoming launch that we're working on is from Italy. He's heading back there next week. You know, even even within that that culture, it is. It's very much about family and gathering together and um, good food, always good food. But yeah. I mean, it's just, I know, I don't know. I think it's just an interesting, almost like sociological perspective. Yes. I love it. I, I yeah. love learning about that kind of stuff and, and analyzing that kind of stuff. I One of my favorite classes that I ever took in college was, and I didn't take it till my second semester of my senior year because I needed, I think, some random like life, life credit or something. It was Anthropology 101. And in that class, we did, we studied all these different just these little subcultures around the country and around the world. And I I kind of got this almost like taste of just being fascinated by small cultures and, and, and very isolated cultures and learning about how that kind of trickles down through generations and things like that. So I, I'm always fascinated by that kind of stuff. So I was just curious as we were talking you know, what that might look, what rising tide society might look like in European countries. And anyway, I could talk about it all day. But I will say I would love to go to Spain because their work life balance in Spain. I mean, everybody takes Siesta. a nap. Yes. yes. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to go to a culture where everybody's like, all right, three o'clock time for a nap. Oh my gosh. I don't know what I would do. I honestly don't know if I would be able to, um, survive there because I think at this point it's just such a part of me that I don't know if I could stop you know I, I know, know I know well I want to go back a little bit before we um, get into a couple other things about the rising tide society but and talk a little bit about your um, photography business um, because Absolutely. that was what you were known for for so many years and do you still yeah. I know you still do some photography is that something that you've sort of transitioned away from are you sort of trying to navigate that balance talk a little bit about that yeah, so I actually have stopped booking future weddings. I mean, some of you guys who, if you have known me, it's likely that you know me as a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not until very recently that people meet me and go, oh, you take pictures too? Like, I didn't know that. <laughs> so it's been an interesting transition, but I, you know, was running a 
six-figure photography business for many years. And ultimately, that's how I paid for college, shooting weddings specifically in the Maryland and Northeast region. And um, yeah, so I, with Rising Tide taking off and sort of this this pivot in my life, I have stopped um, booking future weddings. I've actually, I have my last one coming up. And so you know, I, uh, it's, it's been a crazy transition. It's been a crazy transition. And there are so many parts of, of that, that life that I'm going to miss so, so very much. But I also think it's just taught me so much about identity and so much about where we place our value. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been one of the most powerful and I think ultimately freeing decisions I have ever made uh, because it to me said, you know, my, my value, my worth isn't in my profession. It isn't in the fact that I can take beautiful images or, you know, be successful in this one field. Mm-hmm. It's it's something much different than that. And I think for all of us, whether that is, you know, our jobs or our identities just in life, it's just interesting when you go through a tough transition. I mean, change is hard, but it's also an amazing time for growth. And so for me, it's been that. And I, I mean, I, I absolutely love the the last few weddings that I've been I've been photographing and my couples are just the best in the entire world. And I'm also just, you know, really grateful to to have had this incredible career that led me to so many amazing people like Caitlin. We mentioned, you know, Caitlin yeah. James in the beginning, but a lot of the relationships I've built and the reason Rising Tide exists is because of of this this ability to take photographs. And I think, you know, it'll always be with me. It'll never yeah. leave but I I won't be pursuing it, I think, in the same way. That's really cool. And I love that you're so honest about how you just felt like, okay, I was really good at this. This I was this was a yeah. successful business. It's not like you weren't thriving, but you felt like there was a piece that was missing. And mm-hmm. and it's so I mean this is just the lens I sort of see things through, but it, I just think it's so cool how it's like God kind of put these little steps in your in your path, yeah. if you will, and it just sort of all came together and it all had a purpose because if you didn't have that photography background, then Rising right. Tide Society would never have happened. And yeah. and then for if Rising Tide Society would never have happened, this whole movement of people focusing on community and lifting each other up and encouraging each other and people making connections and networking and growing their businesses. I mean, that never would have happened. Or maybe it would have in some other, you know, some other time space continuum or something. But I mean, I just really think it's it's amazing to see how and and you're young too. For people that don't know, like you're in your you're still in your 20s. Yes, I'm 26. I know. Yeah. Like you're, I'm like, you're like a baby. <laughs> but you're, no, you're not I, actually. You're a grown woman. Don't, I don't ever want to say that to you. <laughs> no, I, I um, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I definitely think that with photography specifically, it was a stepping stone. And, and I think, you know, a lot of times we – uh, we're so afraid to step off of one stone onto the next one, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Like we, we fall in love with one thing and we think, oh my goodness, I could never leave this behind. I could never give this up. Or I was talking to, I was doing a mentoring session this morning with someone that's transitioning from being a photographer to actually wanting to build communities as well, which has been really a gift too. Now that I have this insight, I'm transit. I've literally transitioned from entrepreneur to educator, mm-hmm. um, to community builder. And so, you know, being able to help other people on that journey has been been such a gift. And I'm so grateful for that. But, you know, she said, I'm just so afraid. I don't know who I am if I'm not a photographer. Mm. And, you know, I just said to her, I'm like, you are so much more than your job, you know, yes. like w- our, our jobs are so valuable. And I don't mean to say you're not, you're more than just a photographer. And, and to say that in a way that anyone would ever perceive me saying, oh, that means that being a photographer is not enough. No, I mean, I literally did that for so many years. And I, I think so highly of anyone that can create art with their, with their mind um, and with, with a tool like a camera or even with their hands, like an artist or a maker. But I also want to challenge all of us to constantly be remembering that um, there was a time before that and there will be a time maybe after that, maybe not, um, but that we are are so much more, um, you know, and, and I, get lo- I get lost in that a lot. I did for, for a number of years. I, you know, put so much focus and energy and effort into being this amazing photographer, this big photography name. And it was a good way, I think, you know, if I'm being honest, I think it was God's way too of, of really shaping my heart and saying, yeah. you know, like, yeah, you're right. There are 50,000 people that know you as a photographer, but I know you, you know, more deeply. Yes. I know who you really are. And for me, like, again, it's like, that's who I'm serving. I'm not focusing on on the numbers. Um, I have a very specific purpose. And when that, that calling changed and it shifted just a little bit, I had been equipped with tools because I had been a photographer to yes. serve as a, as a leader in a different yes. way. And so, you know, I think all of us, all of us are, are 
created to do very specific things. And we just need to always, though, remember to keep our hearts and our minds kind of open to whatever's next and not to be afraid to have really to honestly have faith about that next chapter. If you guys, if you're listening to this and you're like, Matt, I hear you. I am in a season of transition. I'm becoming a mom for the first time. I am whatever it is, like insert thing here that you're Mm -hmm, going through. mm -hmm. Just my, my encouragement to you would be just be open and have faith and just be willing to give yourself grace. You know, like it's not going to be a perfect transition. There's going to be pain and hurt and growth is not easy. If it was easy, like everyone would constantly be growing, but like we we need to remember, we need to be uncomfortable. We need to embrace the uncomfortable sometimes because it's just a stepping stone to, to something, you know, greater. And um, for me, that's been the season of transition. And yes. I'm, I'm grateful for every day I spent as a photographer. And I go back to this idea of identity. For me, that's been the biggest lesson is just I am not uh, my Instagram bio. Like I am not my Instagram handle. I am mm-hmm. not a Facebook page. Like I am so much more than that. And I think that all of us need to challenge ourselves to to remember that and do those heart and gut checks. Yes, 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 yes. So much yes. All the preach, <laughs> all the praise hands. Um, when you, I always like to ask people, because I'm always curious, especially people in the creative industry, when somebody says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you, <laughs> how do you answer that question? Oh my gosh. Well, now I say, I mean, I really, this is always my favorite and least favorite question. Um, <laughs> oh, me too. Really awesome uh, friend, Simon T. Bailey, once said, he goes, this is literally what he um, spoke at one of our summits. If you guys don't know him, check him out. Simon T. Bailey's amazing man. Uh, he said, you know, I'm a slashy. I'm like, <laughs> what in the world? He's like, you know, I'm a speaker slash educator slash entrepreneur slash. So he's like, I just have a lot of slashes. I do a lot of things. Um, so for me, you know, when I introduce myself, I say that I am an entrepreneur and community builder. And that's kind of how I leave it. Sometimes I'll add an educator or speaker depending on who I'm talking to and if that's relevant. But ultimately, when I say entrepreneur, it kind of keeps the door very wide and open. Mm -hmm. And I find it to be just like the least restricting. But other times I'm like, you know, I just say, oh, you know, I I built a community. That's what I do. I I build a community. And and that's sort of my day in, day out. But people don't often understand what that means. Yeah. Um, You know, and so I just do my best, I think, to explain it. But what do you say to somebody who says, well, what does it mean to build community or what does it mean? What does the Rising Tide Society mean? What do you what do you say to those people? So I think, you know, it goes back to my purpose. And I really kind of just always go back there. I say, well, you know what I'm doing is I am creating an international network of creative entrepreneurs who uh, believe in this mission of community over competition. And my job every day is to empower and educate tens of thousands in order for them to go into their local communities and educate and empower, you know, hundreds of thousands. And so what I see my job being is, is leading as best I can and basically, you know, giving people the tools that they need to succeed. And so that that's kind of how I how I frame it. And um, sometimes that helps. I think the word network, often people can, oh, a network. Okay, I know what a networking, you know, if they're yeah. in any profession, they know about networking, right? So yeah. I say it's kind of a network, but it's, it's bringing together people that don't have a traditional, you know, office environment. So we're actually, we're creating, and sometimes I even say, we're creating an online office. Like mm-hmm. what we're doing is we are an online office. We have a water cooler, the Facebook group where you can yeah. go and <laughs> yes. unfortunately complain sometimes. Yes. That's what, you know, we all need that. It's a water cooler. But we also have like local meetings. That's your happy hour after work where you get wine. You know, like that, that sort of, I, if I can create a, a beautiful parallel to something they understand, it helps. Um, and I find that with anything, you know, when someone's like, oh, you're a photographer, you shoot weddings for a living. What does that mean? You know, and I'd be yeah. like, well, you know, like, you know, I try to try to create metaphors to explain why my job isn't just one day a week, you know? Yes. How yeah. much work goes into it. So <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, that's always my least favorite and favorite question, too, because it's <laughs> it's it's hard to explain sometimes, especially when you're in a creative field to right. to somebody who's not, you know, what what you do when somebody's like, well, what do you do for a living? I'm like, well, I'm a blogger. And they're like, I'm sorry, what? Oh, like, yes. Like, what? No, that is the hard one. The blogger one that's been around <laughs> forever. And I don't think it will ever go away. No, um, I think people always go, a blogger, you can make money doing that. And you're like, Yes, yes. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, now there are I'm an Instagrammer and there's also I'm a YouTuber. And I actually mm-hmm. this morning was hanging out with a YouTuber and the YouTuber literally, I mean, his job will be when he finishes with college to just create YouTube videos. Oh, and yeah. He will make more money than I will maybe ever make in my lifetime. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable crazy. what this new world has created for for creators and creatives. You know, if yeah. you are willing to work hard, like and you are called or created to do something very specific, you need to do it because this is a new uh, frontier for yeah. all of us. And people people ask me all the time, too, because, you know, 
especially I've been I've been blogging for 10 years. I've only been doing it full time, like as my job job for three, um, like, you know, without a day job to support the side hustle, as they say. Um, but people are always like, well, did you always want to be a blogger? I'm like, well, no, because when I was a kid, the blog exist. did not exist. Like even in college, I mean, I had my my live journal, which was like real emo. And if anybody listening remembers live journal, it was like, you know, I would like write dashboard confessional song lyrics. Like, yes, like, good dashboard confessional. Yeah, You're taking me back. Talk about my feelings. Like, yes, yes, yeah. Those those were not my those were not my best days. This is not my my most proud moments. But it was it was my creative outlet. You know, um, but yeah, that's that's what I think it's it's such an interesting. Um, contrast to when people are you know work in um you know a more formal corporate setting um mm-hmm. but it's funny because i i just had this conversation a couple on a, a couple weeks ago with um when i had laura casey on the show because we were talking about this uh, very same thing about how it can be really hard to explain what you do when you're in a creative industry and you know we were talking about how um i I had seen this tweet from John Acuff a couple of weeks ago. And I just he, love him. I love him uh, so much. Oh my gosh. I, I, I love John Acuff. He is, he's hilarious. He's smart. He's funny. He's brilliant. Yeah. He's, I know. he's all the things, but he had this really great series of tweets a couple weeks ago where he was talking about not glorifying the entrepreneur's life mm. and how so many times entrepreneurs try to glorify the entrepreneur life and say that if you are not an entrepreneur, then you clearly are failing at life and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, no, some people are called to work yeah. for other people. And guess what? As an entrepreneur, you're going to need those people because you're probably going to need to hire somebody who's called to work for you. And so it's not everybody's called to be in a creative industry. Not everybody's called to own their own business. You know, some people are called to be a workhorse and that's okay. Like we, we need those people. Um, But it just creates this very interesting conversation about what does it look like to pursue your dreams um, and also help lead other people to know that like, if your dream is not to own your own business, what what is your what are you know what is your calling is it to volunteer so do you need to work in a corporate setting and make good money so that you can volunteer does that make sense like it's just a very it's a very interesting conversation and I think something that is is going to be ever changing over the next you know years and decades and it'll be really interesting to see kind of what it looks like you know in the next 10 to 20 years you know because I, you know, 10 to 20 years in the past, I could never have said that this is what I would be doing, you know? No, absolutely. Actually, it was really funny. It just reminded me, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who um, I had been listening to me talk to another creative and I was just saying, you know, you gotta, you gotta find something that you love and that you're passionate about is what my mom always says. And after the conversation, she came up to me, she's like, Hey, I want to kind of play around and give you some advice. And I was like, Oh gosh. Okay. What? She's like, you know, I don't encourage people to create a job that they love. And I was like, well, why not? Like, what do you mean? You want someone to not be happy every day? She goes, no, 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 I'm not saying that. She said, but I think we focus so much on telling people like become an entrepreneur, chase your passion, like just do it. Right. And ultimately what's great about that is for a lot of people, it's the push they need. It's the permission they need. So mm-hmm. it serves its purpose. And I think, you know, it's when used properly, that advice is very, very good. However, her point was, you know, there are people out there who, you know, if if they actually, instead of pursuing or creating a job that is uniquely just going to make them happy, if they pursue a job that they enjoy that doesn't drain them of their, their happiness, obviously, but that allows them to either A, like make a lot of good money, right? Like, and put it aside, mm-hmm. then that's going to allow them to create a life they love. Yes. And that life they love, right? Like their job may not be what they love, but their life needs to be what they love. And by doing that, then they're going to be able to do, like you mentioned volunteering. I mean, honestly, like some of the the happiest people I know work in corporate America. Maybe they do have a side hustle. Actually, a lot of them do because that's how I know them in the creative space. But you know, they work in corporate America and they work two jobs or one and they save up a lot of money so that they can go and do, you know, a trip, a mission trip, or so that they can take a week off and volunteer. 
Um, and what's my favorite part about it is that a lot of these people never publicize it. Yeah. Like they don't talk about it. You have to pull it from them in order to to really, you know, recognize the work that they're doing behind the scenes. And I have so much admiration for that because I think that, you know, even working in the community space where we do a lot of philanthropic work through Rising Tide. Mm-hmm. And for us, I see it as we need to vocalize this because what I'm trying to do is mobilize this behavior in people in their daily lives. Mm-hmm. Like I see the money we're raising in Rising Tide is like the trickle. It's the foundation. It seems like a big number, but it's not. If I can get every single person to think for just a moment, hmm, that seems really interesting. Like I haven't thought about how I could use my business uh, to help other people or I haven't thought about, you know, donating or going to a local um, you know, shelter and cooking lunch one day. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if they can even for a moment think about that and maybe institute that in their daily lives, that's why we talk so openly about it at RTS. But the the amount of people that do this silently, it just inspires me and it gives yeah. me so much hope. Yes. And if your corporate job allows you to do that, then like by all means, you know, don't don't give up something just because it seems cool to do it, right? Like yeah. really, really hone in. I love John Acuff. I think that, that that's such an interesting perspective and it's such good advice. Yeah, yeah. And your your comment made me think of, um, you know, one of the things that I have loved watching you do so much, especially in the last couple of months, is everything that you guys did with the Rise Summit and yeah. the way you approach the Rise Summit. Um, so for, for those that are listening that maybe don't know what the Rise Summit is, talk a little bit about that, what that was. And, um, and the fact that, I mean, one of the things I, I loved so much was that it was free, but yeah. you could make a donation to mm-hmm. Pencils of Promise. And Pencils of Promise is an amazing organization. I'll let you talk about them. Um, but you guys raised all this money for Pencils of Promise. So so talk about that and your sort of your, your vision behind that. And um, this to me is such a amazing example of taking what you do, what you're passionate about, um, and your your career in so many ways, and making it about something bigger. Yep. Because that is, that's what I try to, to share through this podcast is showing different types of entrepreneurs or business owners or uh, you know nonprofit directors, whatever. It's people that are d- taking what they love to do for a living, what they are doing to make money, but ultimately how they are empowering other people through that. Um, and that trickles down into their personal lives as well, obviously, because when you're really living out your true passion, your true purpose through what you're doing in mm-hmm. sort of your vocational space, that trickles down into your personal life as well, obviously, because they're, they they kind of mesh together and it's kind of hard to, to see the exact line of where one stops and the other starts. Um, right. Yeah. So talk about the Rise Summit and Pencils of Promise. Yeah. So, you know, we do through Rising Tide Society, we do a wide variety of different types of educational events. You know, I mentioned sort of our our main mission is to educate and empower. So Mm -hmm. uh, for us, you know, education takes the form most of the time as a monthly guide that we send out every month and every month's topic is different. And so the conversations we have in our chapters will vary every time you come to a different meeting, which is great. However, we really love to get everyone together around, you know, an event. If not once a year, we do one to two different types of big things like this a year. And um, in the past, we, we've done it and we've, you know, donated a portion of proceeds to a given charity and organization. And we've worked with so many good ones, um, really awesome nonprofits and, and different organizations that mm-hmm. are doing great work in the world. But this time we really wanted to do something different. Um, you know, in the past we've charged hundreds of dollars for tickets to these summits and yeah. we do have great speakers. I mean, you mentioned Johnny Cuff, one of his his buds, uh, Jeff Goins has spoken. So like we, and Laura Casey has spoken. I mean, we, we have yeah. some great speakers that come on board um, and support us and we're just so grateful. But this time we were like, okay, we want to do something different. And so we came up with this concept of instead of charging a fee to attend our summit, which is just an online conference. Um, you know, basically we bring a bunch of speakers, you hop on a webinar software, you listen all day. Um, you can do it from the comfort of your own home. It's really honestly a ton of fun. And we often joke, it's like, you know, coffee in the morning and wine at night. So yeah. it's just like all of us together learning and, and sharing and growing together. And um, instead of charging money, we're like, what if we make it free? And what if not only do we make it free, but we set it up such that we can work with some some corporate sponsors to cover our costs, which is exactly what we did. So we mm-hmm. got a bunch of great companies on board to cover the cost of the event, the behind the scenes mechanics that make it work and all of that. And that way, when someone you know decides to attend, they can register for free. So the first page, they just register. And when the second page they hit is their optional donation page. And um, 
you know, they can make a donation of any amount. If they make a donation for us this time, we did $50 or over. They got access to replays. But other than that, the event itself was free. I wonder if people would even donate. Like our biggest fear was like, what if no one donates? You know, like what if mm-hmm. we do this? And everyone's like, yeah, that's nice. I just came here for the free conference. Mm-hmm. Um, what was so incredible and so encouraging is that within hours, um, the donation numbers were racing up and up and up. And I should take a step back too to say we partnered with an organization. If you haven't heard of it, I highly recommend checking it out. It's called Pencils of Promise. It is just truly like I I I feel like anything I say about it will not do it justice, but it's an organization that essentially sees the value of education um, in the developing world mm-hmm. as an avenue to, you know, just honestly lift people from poverty, empower mm-hmm. communities, um, and it just do does incredible things. And so, you know, I had heard great things about the org. One of our regional directors is actually personally involved with them. And so we just were like, you know what, this is this is the group we really want to raise money for. And we always do our due diligence and do a little bit of research. And we were just really impressed with how they ran the organization and where yeah. the money goes and all of that, you know, and just it felt like a really good fit for us. And so, you know, we partner with them and the money goes up and up and up. And for them, if you can raise $35,000, you can build a school. And so that wow. was our goal. We said, we want to we want to raise $35,000. We want to be able to say, we held an event and all of you, the community, built a school. Not some big donor, you know, not some big Silicon Valley investor writing us a check for 35K. No, we, we want to be able to build a school together. And what was so incredible is that we did. We raised 35 and then it went up and up. We actually raised over $50,000. Um, that is and unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Amazing. One day, free online conference and What's so encouraging is that that number wasn't hit again by one person writing a big check. Mm-hmm. It was by over, ready for this, over 7,000 people that chose to donate. So more can't watch the event, many more, but 7,000 people chose to donate. And all of them, you know, donated $5 here, $10 there. Some of them donated $200. Somebody donated even more than that. I mean, it's like, the amount of money that was raised because people felt like together they were able to do something good for the world. It was just so encouraging. And I, you know, I, again, like that's what, what we're all about. That's what community I believe should be about, not necessarily raising money for charity. If that's not what the community's focus is, obviously, but about doing something greater and something bigger, um, moving, moving people forward is what I always like to say, and in the pursuit of a greater vision. And so for us, it, it was really manifested, I think, in that event. But it was a ton of fun. We learned a ton. We had some great inside jokes come out of it. Um, just, you know, being on the camera all day. Yeah. T- tons of technological issues, as you would expect from <laughs> a hodgepodge of, you know, different systems we were using. Yeah. But, but, and it was free. So, I mean, that that also played into it. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, tens of thousands of people actually watched the live stream. And it just was such an encouragement to see that, our community came together to support an incredible org. And it's, I'm sure, just the first of many, many events like this. And we want to do more with Pencils of Promise. We love them. So check them out and make a donation if you're looking to get involved with an org. Um, they're really, really great. Yes. I Well, I watched the summit. Um, I wasn't able to watch all of it live, but I I, I did do a donation so I could have lifetime access um, because I, I was just, I was really impressed with the speaker lineup. But I also... Part of it is, you know, I believe so much in what you guys do. And I think that this was just such a great example to other people of making it not about you, making it not mm-hmm. about yourself or, 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 you know, just the Rising Tide Society. It was like, how can we take our platforms and how can we use something that has this wide of a reach and, and use it to literally change lives. Um, one of the things that um, I'll go back to, again, small scale, but um, when I started the the Triangle Bloggers group in 2012, one of the things that I made sure was that every single meetup that we have, we have a featured nonprofit. At every single meetup, we have, you know, somebody from the nonprofit either come and speak and talk a little bit about it. We'll, you know, we'll collect donations or say if the meetup's at like a boutique or something and, um, you know, a percentage of sales that night will go to the organization. And I've said this from the beginning, like, I think it's so important for us as bloggers. I mean, obviously, that's the, the people I'm talking to to use our platforms for something greater than ourselves because otherwise it's just us online talking about ourselves all day and nobody wants to read that um (laughs) and this is that's part of why I'm so passionate about what I write about and um that's why I love talking about um you know fair trade and ethical fashion brands and 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 brands and companies that are 
doing more than just creating a product. You know, they're creating a product maybe by through empowering somebody in a developing world or they're paying somebody a fair wage or they're they're donating a percentage of their profits to um, an organization or, or they're giving back in their community. And I love so much of what Pencils of Promise does because I that is an organization that I have loved following because I too believe in the power of education because I've seen, you know, having been to Kenya three times and spent extensive time there and and have really developed relationships with people there like I know the value of education there and I see what an education for a young boy or a young girl means to a family to a community I mean it it has a trickle-down effect like nothing in this world you know outside of an education and so I just I just want to commend you for what you guys have done and I think it, you know, I just I can't wait to see what you guys continue to do with future things like the Rise Summit. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I really I mean this wholeheartedly. Like, I can't take the credit for it. This is truly something that the community did. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's the beautiful part about it. It's something that you know we worked to create the space, and the mm-hmm. community you know really stepped up to make it happen. Yeah. So, if you're listening to this and you are a part of the Rise Summit, like that is for you. And I hope that you you take that to heart. And one little last bit, I'll I'll kind of share that was just really profound um, and really impacted me is, you know, we did an exercise as a group um, on the leadership team where we thought about a teacher in our lives who has made a tremendous impact in us. Mm -hmm. Um, And this could be, you know, a coach, it could be a formal teacher at school, it could be a family member that, you know, educated you in, in one way or another. And the role that that teacher played in whether it was finding self-esteem, discovering your your, your talents, um, being confident in your own skin, whatever it is, I, we really were able to connect to who that person was. So I'd encourage if you're listening, like who was a teacher for you that you think of when you think about someone that made a lasting impact on your life mm-hmm. and then remove them from your memory and think about who you'd be without them. And it for me, it was like, I, I can't, you know, I would be such a different person without some of the teachers that I've had. And in going through that exercise and thinking, wow, like if I didn't have that, who would I be? And and what would I have missed? And to recognize that children around the world don't have access to the opportunities that many of us had access to. Yeah. And that's why, you know, things like Pencils of Promise, it, it sounds easy to say, oh, you know, we're building a school. And yes, building a school. But what I really care about is thinking about a little girl like I was, you know, who's being raised by a single mom who goes to school every day. And those teachers are, you know, much more than just, you know, a teacher. And, and so I I think about that little girl, um, you know, whether we build it in Guatemala or in Laos or, you know, wherever it is, um, I think about her and I think about the impact that this community just made on her life. And this is one child of many that's going to be able to walk through the school every day and, and be, be impacted with, with the power of education. And so it's just, it, it really means a lot. And so again, whatever it is for you that you're passionate about, whether it's education or, um, you know, giving back in any capacity, really think about it and think about how you can incorporate it into your business because it, it changes everything. You know, it really does. It really, it really, really does. I yeah I oh man okay I'm like I'm getting I'm getting teary eyed here I'm thinking because well it's just it's true it's something that I just I'm so passionate about and I I just I love hearing from other people who share the same passion and it's I mean it's why I started this podcast because I I love talking with people who who see the value in lifting others up um, whether it's through you know, again, creating a product and you're empowering people who the people who make that product um, all the way to people who just run a business, um, you know, that's geared towards serving others. I just I think it's, you know, we live in such a me culture like we talked about earlier. And right. the more that we can do and and set the pace. And like you said earlier, like you share the the charitable stuff that Rising Tide Society does because you want to to create that ripple effect and you want to start that um, in, in this space, you want to get people, you know, doing similar things. Um, I just, I think it's wonderful. Um, So Natalie, you know, as we wrap up here, I would love for you to just kind of share what is on the horizon for you. What's on the horizon for rising tide society. Um, Like you shared earlier, you moved from Annapolis to San Francisco. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. what is, what is sort of on the docket for you for the next, uh, you know, three, six, 12 months. Oh, man. Well, 12 months, I would say is too far out there. I have no idea. (laughs) But, you know, in the near future, some fun things I'm working on. So 
I am kicking off a video blog this summer. I have an intern because I mentioned the, the vlogger that I met up with this morning. Yes. A really sweet um, kid from Annapolis that I'm going to be bringing out to San Francisco to help me kick off a video blog. Hopefully, again, my goal with it is like, I just want to bring people into the day to day. I want them to really see what it's like to, you know, be a woman working in Silicon Valley that comes from a creative background and, and just like really striving to uh, kind of pull back the, some of these curtains that I think social media creates so that people can feel really comfortable and really familiar with Rising Tide and HoneyBook and the work that we're doing and understand the heart behind it. So I'm super pumped about the video blog. So stay tuned for that. That's awesome. Um, and I haven't really announced that very much. You're getting kind of like an exclusive. Oh, I like that. it. Um, love it. I'm also really excited, honestly, to do a cross-country road trip with my husband again this summer. So I love road trips and just getting to explore different places. And so we're planning our big road trip coming up. Um, just a ton of other big launches and, and work things that I can't get reveal, but other things like that as well. So a lot of fun stuff on the horizon. Just really honored and grateful to, you know, have been on this podcast. Molly, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I really thank you so, so much. honored. Thank you so much. And it was truly a pleasure. There are so many more questions that I didn't even get a chance to get to. So I guess <laughs> that just means that you're just going to have to come back on the show in another time. Um, don't tease me because I <laughs> love that. That would be so fun. I love it. I love it. And if I, I, I adore San Francisco. So yes. if I've been trying to search for a reason to go back out there, so um, here's your reason. Yeah. Come visit I'll me. I'll totally come visit. our other podcast recording. Yes, that'd be amazing. Um, thank you so much, Natalie, for coming on the show. And for you guys that are listening, um, I will make sure to have all the links to the Rising Tide Society and how you can con- connect with Natalie online. I will have all the those things in the show notes um, and be sure to give Natalie some love and show her some love on social media and just tell her um, how much this episode blessed you because I know it blessed me and I loved having you on here so Natalie thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today thank you Guys, doesn't Natalie just want to make you run out and just take over the world? I love her. I love her heart. I love her passion. I love how nerdy she is about science and the brain and all that kind of stuff. I could just talk to her for hours. I had so many questions that I didn't even get a chance to ask her. So I know she's going to come back on the show and we're going to have another awesome conversation. But if you loved this conversation with Natalie, I would love if you would just head over to the Rising Tide Society or Natalie's Instagram and just leave her some love. Let her know how much this episode blessed you. And if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. We have, I mean, over 38 or something episodes in the archives that you can listen to and hear from so many amazing entrepreneurs. And if this is your regular weekly habit of listening to the show, thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes and make sure you are subscribed and be sure to leave us a review because that just helps us get the show out there and helps us to you know, just grow the show and grow our audience. So thank you guys so much for your support and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.